If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please open up to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Today we'll be looking at verses 24 all the way to 31. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand, and one of our ushers will put a Bible in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep that one. We would love for you to have that Bible. If you do own a Bible and you just forgot it, you can just leave it in your seat when you go, and our ushers will collect them later. But we do want you to have a Bible in front of you, whether you're using a device or um, an actual physical copy of Scripture, whatever that might be. I saw on Facebook this morning on the memories that it was a year ago that we started our series through the book of Acts. Some of you were like, it felt like longer than that. Some of you were like, was it really that long ago? Wherever you stand, we were in Acts for a long time. We finished week before last. And at the very end of Acts, we found Paul proclaiming the gospel boldly and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance, Scripture says there at the end of Acts in chapter 28. Philip last week started a short series that we're doing right here before Easter called Be Bold. In light of that passage with Paul, in light of where we are as a church and in the community we're in that needs to know the gospel, we thought this would be a good time to talk about some things and equip. Last week, Philip did a great job. Pastor Philip did an awesome job starting us out in John chapter 20, talking about Mary Magdalene and encouraging us to be bold, saying that Jesus is worth sharing. This is good news that is good enough to share and encouraging us to believe that and to see that truth. Um, Honestly, it was just by God's grace and providence that we are still in John chapter 20 this week. This was not intended. Um, But today, I wanted us to look at John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31, because I think God has a word for us here that's going to be hopefully very helpful to us and very practical. So let's first read the passage, and then we'll talk some more about it. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. And he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of God. So in verses 24 and 25, we're going to find our first point. But what all these points are going to really address today is something that maybe you wrestle with. Whether you're a believer here today, this may be something you wrestle with. If you're somebody and you're not really sure what you think about the gospel, you're not really sure what you make about Jesus, this may be something you wrestle with, and that is doubt. Doubt. You wonder, is God really there? Is Jesus real? Are these things that we've heard about him true? I hope today that we will join together in doubting our doubts. Doubting our doubts. Now, this is not a phrase that I came up with. It's become kind of a common one in churches. I first heard it from Tim Keller, and I'll have some other points from him later, but lots of people use this, so don't think like, oh, Jake, using a play on words. No. The idea here is simple, folks. A lot of times we'll throw up something and say, if I can't know this, 
Or if this is true, then I can't believe the gospel. And the truth is we put so much faith in whatever those one or two things are that we throw up that we actually are trusting in those beliefs. And I wonder if we investigate those beliefs the same way we do the gospel. I wonder if we doubt our doubts. If we're willing to look at our doubts honestly and say, maybe this doubt has more holes in it than the gospel itself, than the good news of Jesus Christ. So looking back at the verses, like I said, we'll start with verses 24 and 25. They set a really baseline thing for us, and that is the reality of doubt. Reality of doubt. You see, the book of John is an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, in case you didn't know that. John, who wrote this gospel, was there. And the Holy Spirit inspired him to record all of this so that we may see who Jesus is and what he's done, and that we may believe in his name and have eternal life with him. In the chapters leading up to this, chapters 18 and 19, Jesus was betrayed, arrested, unfairly tried, and crucified. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. But it's in John 20 that John provides this incredible resolution to his whole account. Jesus, who was killed on the cross publicly and buried in a borrowed tomb, is now alive. And people are seeing him alive. Mary went to the tomb and his body wasn't there and she told the disciples. Peter and John raced to the tomb only to confirm that his body was missing. Jesus then appeared to Mary Magdalene and then he appeared to the disciples. In verse 21, he says to them, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He tells the disciples, I'm sending you out just as I was sent here. We find in verse 24 that Thomas wasn't there. It says, but Thomas called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, him being called twin, there's not any some, some deep meaning there. It's just the fact that he had a twin, who we don't get mentioned in Scripture, and this is just something he was called. This happens a lot in Scripture. Don't let that throw you off. The point is, he wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. In the first part of verse 25, though, we see the very first evangelism attempt. This is the first time that someone was commanded by Jesus, go and tell people I'm alive, because he said, I'm sending you out, right? We just said that in verse 21. And they're being sent, and in verse 25 it says, so the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. And talking about the Be Bold series and evangelism in this church, I've talked to many of you who have said, I've tried to share the gospel, and it seems like I just get shut down. You almost get discouraged because we feel like it's not working out. I'm here to point you to the disciples who on their very first attempt, after seeing Jesus alive from the grave, were pumped to go tell Thomas, who's been with them the whole time, he's one of their homeboys, they go and tell him, Jesus is alive! Thomas says, nah. He doubts immediately the very first person. Now, Thomas gets a bad rep because people call him Doubting Thomas. Some of you may have heard that. You may have heard sermons on like, don't be like Thomas. Y'all, don't give him that bad rep. Thomas was logical, okay? We saw this man beaten in public, nailed to a cross. We saw him dead. We took him away and put him in a borrowed tomb, and it's been three days now. The man's dead. And he was right, by the way, that Jesus did actually die. What he was wrong about was that Jesus is now alive. But before we just 
kind of throw Thomas under the bus here. I want you to remember, if you've read John before, if you've heard it preached on, maybe you remember this passage, if this is new to you, that's okay. Back in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And when all that's going on, when Jesus is first saying, I need to go back to Judea because Lazarus is sick, all of the disciples are saying, no, Lord, they're going to kill you, they're going to kill you. But Thomas was ride or die with Jesus. It says, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I read even in some commentaries this week that said Thomas was the perpetual pessimist. Now he says Jesus isn't alive. He said then we're all going to go and die. But y'all, I think that's wrong because what he said there is let us also go. They're going to kill you, Jesus? I'm going to. That's Thomas nine chapters ago. So Thomas here is being logical Thomas, relatable Thomas, okay? Thomas isn't being too different than Jake. I'm Jake, by the way, if you don't know my name. He might not be too different from you. He hears the good news of the gospel, and he says, that sounds great, but I have some questions. And what I love just about these two verses, without even going any further, there's just truth here in this first point. The the reality of life is that there is doubt. We will have doubt. You will have doubt. I think sometimes we push that aside in church, like, no, no, it's wrong to doubt. Don't do that. Scripture is very honest with us about a lot of realities in life, with death and hardship and all kinds of things. And this is another place that Scripture is honest with us and shows us that doubts do arise. Doubts come. Like Thomas, you and I can be skeptical about Jesus. Is he who he claims to be? Is it possible that he is alive? Did he really come back from the grave? The presence of doubt in Scripture should encourage us not only in our own doubts, but also in evangelism. When you meet someone who doubts the gospel, Christian, they're just being human. They're being reasonable. The story of the gospel is ridiculous, everybody. We forget that in church sometimes, I think. Because we get so used to saying, oh yeah, there's one God, and he's holy, and he exists as Trinity, and he's created everything, and created us, and we fell into sin, and he sent his son, and life, death, burial, and resurrection, and he saves us, cool. Y'all, that's ridiculous! That's a wild story! And when we tell people that, and they don't believe it, we're like, oh, I'm so discouraged. Why? Y'all, I've had stuff happen to me that when I tell people, they're like, that's not true. Some of you probably have stories like that, too. We can share them over lunch. We're not going to do it right now. If we're sharing the gospel and we encounter doubt, we can point back to Scripture and say that doubts are real. You can point right here. What's awesome is that we get to see Jesus' response to doubt in the next few verses, and we see his grace toward doubt in verses 26 through 28. It says, A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Pause. I've made jokes about teleportation and the resurrection body before here. So if if you hadn't been here, you don't know this joke, that's okay. For y'all who have been here, that's a proof text. (laughs) Totally side point. Cool. Doors are locked. Jesus comes and stands among them. Don't know how it happened. We don't get details, but that's what happened. He says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. 
reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. If I were writing this story and making it up, I would have changed a little. I would have had Thomas saying, unless I see his hand touching myself and see his side and touch his side, I will not believe. And then I would have had Jesus appearing in the room. Got to keep that part. But he wouldn't say, peace be with you, touch my hand, touch my side. No, Jesus would say, what now, Thomas? (laughs) That's not what Jesus does. Jesus is gracious with him. He doesn't come and judge Thomas for wanting answers. He doesn't come and shame him. He comes and says, you want proof? Here you go. Now, some of you in here right now, immediately you're you're checking out, your mind's racing because you're like, wait, you said we're going to talk about doubts. Are you telling me that Jesus is going to walk in here and reach out his hands and show me a side? First of all, he could, so I'm all for it. Jesus wants to come back and do that right now? Come on, Lord. Second of all, according to the pattern of history, that's probably not going to happen right now. But I still think this is good news for us. I said earlier that we should doubt our doubts, right? And what we learn from Jesus here is what we find true in Jude chapter 1, verse 22, which says, have mercy on those who doubt. First of all, if you doubt, be gracious with yourself. I feel like we beat ourselves up sometimes in church because we say, oh, I've got some doubts about this and I must, be, I must just be this horrible person because I have doubts. That's just not true. And that's not the way Jesus looks at us. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, you stand confident before the throne of God based on his merit, not on your own. When we have doubts, we can run back to him knowing confidently that we can come back to him and that he will embrace us, that he will comfort us. We can come back to community with each other instead of moving toward isolation. We can share those doubts and be encouraged in the body, in the family. And when we share the gospel and people doubt, we can be gracious like Jesus is. It seems like a lot of times what I've seen in people in sharing the gospel is either we take a Bible and our evangelism is basically just taking it like this and just smacking people across the head. Have you seen that kind of evangelism? Literally, I went to Auburn University, lost last night in the Final Four, I know. Literally, when I was in college, there was a guy who would stand on campus, and he would stand there with his Bible, and he would shout and preach. I don't think it was preaching, but he would yell ridiculous things, like, you, you're wearing blue jeans, you're condemned. That's not the gospel, y'all. What was this guy talking about? But that's how some people do evangelism. Others of us do evangelism the polite way, and what I mean by that is we don't do it. In our culture, let's be real, y'all, that's what people consider polite evangelism, right? To to bring it up, doesn't matter how gracious you are, things like that, that's what happens. Uh, Russell Moore is somebody that I look up to. Um, You can look him up later if you want to, but he he once was talking about difficult issues like biblical marriage and things like that in Scripture. And he said, when he was training other Christians, he said, listen, I can't help it if people call you a bigot, but I can't help you from being a bigot. I think there's a reminder here, just Christians, that when we talk to people who have doubts, we need to be gracious like Jesus. 
We don't need to force things upon them. We don't need to just avoid the subject. We need to be gracious as he is here. Now you say, okay, how do I hold Jesus up to them and let him feel his scars? You may not be able to physically do that, but we're getting to more good news. Now, I realize that everything we've said so far is in generalities. And what we want this Be Bold series to be is something that's going to be a little bit more equipping, a little more practical. So thinking about this, something came to mind that I learned from Tim Keller. He, he once did a poll of college students, like, this was like 10 years ago, college students in New York. And he found six things that he called defeater beliefs. That was kind of that one belief that somebody would throw up and say, this is why I don't believe in Christianity. This is the thing that keeps me from embracing Jesus. Now, six is a lot, and just for the sake of time, we're going to look at three of them, because I have found these three to be extremely common as well. So a defeater belief then is, okay, I hear your gospel, I hear what you believe, I have this one belief that I just can't get past to get to that, okay? So we're going to look at three of those and just talk about how we can graciously engage those, okay? So if somebody else throws this doubt at you, how can we graciously engage those? So before we get to those three, some of you are sitting there with your pens. I see you. You're ready. You're going to get notes. Don't worry. This will be super helpful. We need, we need to get something here, though. The goal is not to answer every question that someone has. That is not the goal of evangelism. You will never be able to do that, first of all. The goal is to graciously share the gospel and help our family, our friends, and our neighbors consider their doubts, doubt their doubts, as we talked about. We want to help others engage their doubts, not just appearing like we have all the answers. We don't want to look down on other people as we do this. Another key note here is when you talk to somebody about their doubts, if you're going to help them doubt their doubts and you want to actually engage with that and discuss their doubts with them, engage with the strongest possible argument they could have, the strongest form of it, the best argument they could have. Because what happens in churches a lot, and I experience this as someone asking questions in church, is I would ask a Christian, hey, I have this really sincere doubt, and it would almost get belittled. Or they would half answer it and act like that was just the perfect answer, and that if I didn't get it, something was wrong with me. Maybe you've experienced that too. So we want to engage the strongest form of these objections to Christianity, these defeater arguments. So we're going to look at three of them. The first one is some people say there are just too many religions. There are just too many religions. With so many religions in the world, Christians must be arrogant to think they have the one true religion. All religions are basically the same, and isn't it possible that all religions lead to the same place? Some of you may think this right now. Some of you may have thought this in the past. Some of you may wonder about this. This is um, the common Oprah religion, y'all. This is, this is what she would say uh, on live TV right now is, there are so many religions, how can we know that Christianity is right? Now again, the goal here is not to answer every question. The goal is to help us doubt our doubts. So, if you say it's wrong to claim that one religion is correct then to say all religions are equally right is to break your own rules. Does that make sense? If you say it's wrong to say, okay, you can't just say Christianity's right, then how come you can say all religions do the same thing? You're saying, you know, I'd come over to Pastor Philip and say, Pastor Philip, you're saying that you know the one truth. Let me tell you my one truth is better than your one truth. That's essentially what's happening. 
If you're saying there's one right way to think about all religions, you're just as narrow-minded as saying there's one right way to think about Christianity. Does that make sense? What you do in engaging those kind of thoughts is you help people to doubt their doubts, to engage their arguments in a different way, and honestly, to deconstruct them, to see holes in them. A second one here is evil and suffering. Evil and suffering. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, why does he allow evil and suffering in the world? If he is loving, why doesn't he stop it? We can answer that in short. I'm giving short answers here because we can't spend all day on these. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, then it must be possible that he has reasons that we do not know to allow evil and suffering to continue for a time. Because we are not all-powerful and all-knowing. So if we say, yes, God is all-powerful, yes, God is all-knowing, perhaps he does have some wisdom that says there is reason to allow these things for a time. You know what's great about Christianity? Is we can say there will one day be a day where there is no more evil and suffering. What else is great about Christianity is we can say what we know to be true about God here is the gospel presents God as entering into our suffering, taking our suffering on himself, dying horrifically on the cross in the place of his people, bearing the very wrath of God in our place. So the big issue there is if evil and suffering keeps you from believing in the God of Christianity, even if you dismiss Christianity, you're still stuck with the problem of evil and suffering. It doesn't go away. So what answers it? Christianity offers one answer to that. Again, I'm not trying to answer everything. You may be sitting there and you may have these same doubts and you're going, you're not addressing my doubts the right way. Awesome. I want to talk to you after this. Okay? I want to hear you. Not just try to convince you. I want to hear your argument. Philip and I want to talk to you. Our, our other members here want to talk to you at lunch. Some, some of you members are like, please don't bring these to me at lunch. <laughs> come, come grab me. I want to be part of that discussion. Third one we're going to look at is that Christianity may be too morally rigid, some people would say. It's morally rigid. The way this goes is somebody says, we should be able to choose our own beliefs and find our own truths. What's true for you can be true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Some of you may believe that even sitting here claiming to be a Christian. The problem with that is if, if we say that everyone should be able to choose their own truths, everyone should be able to find their own path, then we can never say that what someone else does is right or wrong. R.C. Sproul, a theologian who's now gone to be with the Lord, was once asked the question, posed the question, my brother does not believe in sin, how do I convince him? R.C. Sproul said, steal his wallet. (laughs) Now, his point he's making there is if you say, there's no right or wrong, people just need to figure out what's right or wrong for them, they need to figure out their best way to live, but then I take your wallet, and you're like, you're not supposed to do that. Why? Based on what? You just told me to find my own truth. My own truth says your wallet's got money in it. Now, some of y'all are like, that's, that's too clever. Like, Jake, you're trying to make yourself look clever. I'm not just trying to make myself look clever. I'm trying to show that these doubts that are very valid doubts, very valid questions, 
have enough holes in them to at least make you doubt those. As I said, Tim Keller has three more of those. You can go look those up online on your own. I'm sure there are lots of other things. Uh, be careful on Google because you never know what you'll find, whether it's right or wrong. Weigh it against Scripture. But if you're here today and you have these doubts, or if you have other doubts that we didn't talk about, I want to make it very clear that I'm not belittling you, I'm not mocking you, I'm not looking down on you. I'm asking you to question your defeater beliefs because that's what they are, they're beliefs. If you have beliefs that you hold against Christianity, that doesn't make it less of a faith act. You just have faith in something else. Question your own faith in the same way that you would Christianity. I'm asking you to doubt your doubts. If you have one or two main reasons, if you're here today and you doubt, you have one or two main reasons, you refuse to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, have you investigated those one or two main reasons? Or do you just read it and go, oh, that's a good excuse, I'm just going to stop thinking about this now. Christian brothers and sisters, maybe you still wrestle with doubt. Do you doubt your doubts when they come up? Or do you just push them back, maybe because that's what someone taught you to do? Just push those aside, don't worry about them. I encourage you to engage with them. I encourage you to really ask questions of your doubt. Because if the gospel is true, and I believe that it is, it'll hold up. I'm not worried about that, y'all. Jesus is alive. You're going to have to prove that he's not. I've often heard it said, it's on, it's on Christians because they have to prove that God exists. I don't have to prove what's self-evident. And if you want to go with something that is empirical, we can go to the resurrection. Show me bones. Find DNA. We know where Muhammad's buried. We know where Joseph Smith's buried. We don't know where Jesus is buried. You know why? He's not there. Another point for Christians. When we boldly share the gospel with others, we should be gracious and respectful as we help others to doubt their doubts. Remember, this isn't just some total side talk. This is coming from this passage of how Jesus dealt with Thomas. The doubting Thomas, as people call him. That I think we should rename the logical Thomas. He asked questions and Jesus did not come and berate him. Did not come and talk to him like he was dumb. He came and said, See and believe. Our goal in evangelism, Christians, is to present the gospel, not to answer every question. When people offer rebuttals, all I encourage you to do is to help them question those rebuttals. You don't have to answer every question they rebuttal. Just help them question them. Our last point we find in verses 29 through 31, and this is hope for doubt. Hope for doubt. Verse 29 says, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Notice Thomas's profession of faith there, my Lord and my God. That's not him saying OMG. He's calling Jesus his Lord and his God. Jesus says, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus, or if you're here today and one day you believe in Jesus, those verses are written about you and me. And I want to point out that Jesus is not belittling Thomas. He doesn't say anything negative about Thomas or the way Thomas came to belief. He, in fact, affirms that he does believe. 
and then says, speaking of other generations of Christians, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. John continues, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and then by believing you may have life in his name. The truth is that right at this moment, you and I, we cannot physically see the risen Christ. But we who cannot physically see the risen Christ are at no disadvantage to those who could. The truth is, because we believe in this wild story of the gospel, because God is high above our earthly wisdom and understanding, because he is more powerful than any of us in this room or all of us together, he works miracles so that we will believe. He works through his word to make us new. What does it say right there in verse 31? These are written so that you may believe. That's the whole purpose John wrote this gospel. You say, okay, how do you know that? Because he says it. This is him writing this and says, you know what? I wrote all this down so that you may believe and that in believing you may have life. Understand, as Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Folks, I take the Bible very seriously. Some of you here here that know me know that. Sometimes it may be too seriously, though I don't think that we're going to get to heaven and God's going to be like, you took my word too seriously. That's neither here nor there. I do that because there is power in God's word. And when God's word is spoken or read or proclaimed or sung or prayed, God works through his word. I promise he does. I've seen it happen. Y'all, I've been in pastoral ministry a little over seven years, and I was joking with somebody yesterday that Laura had to bear through my sermons in my early preaching. Now, they may have been somewhat theologically sound, but y'all, if you think today's sermon is bad, you should have heard me six years ago, okay? Those early sermons, anyone who's ever preached in here can, can say, like, those first few sermons, you're like, delete all recordings. Those don't need to exist. No, one of my first sermons, the first church I pastored, two people came to know the Lord, may baptize them the next week. I'm not saying that to say, oh, man, look how good my sermon was. I'm saying that to say, look at God working through his word in spite of me. And he can do that with any of us. I've said it here before, a phrase that I learned from Dr. Whitley, um, one of my seminary professors. When we share the gospel, God saves the people. And you may say, but I've shared the gospel, and I've not seen anybody come to know the Lord. We continue to plant and to water and to throw seed, and he gives the growth in his time. Are we being faithful in lovingly, graciously, respectfully, proclaiming the word so that people may come to faith through hearing the word of Christ. I love that John says, 
So you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, but that he doesn't stop there. Because just saying he is the Messiah, the Son of God, is good, and like you got that theologically correct, but y'all demons believe that. It says, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now we live. Now we do things. You want to know what I do a lot of times when I get into these like deeper theological discussions where people want to talk about doubt and objections to Christianity? A lot of times something comes up, and it'll be like a hard political topic. They don't want to talk about biblical marriage, or they don't want to talk about abortion, or something like that. And a lot of times what I'll ask that person is, what are you doing in your community about that thing that you're so passionate about? Not saying this is always going to be the case, because I'm not saying you have to be a Christian and be a good person. A lot of people who aren't Christians seem to be nice, right? You may be here today, and you may not be a Christian. You may be a very polite person. But of my friends that I've talked to who aren't Christians that have been honest with me, which I can think of about four, they've said, no, I'm not doing anything for that in my community. That's something I need to do better on. Now, what's a shame, and to show that I'm not condemning those friends, is that a lot of people in churches do the same thing. We say, Jesus is Savior and Lord. I've doubted my doubts. I've embraced the truth of the gospel. I believe as Thomas did. I see him in his word, and I believe. And then we don't do anything. We're supposed to now go and be bold. We're supposed to now go and serve and love. We have life. And people say, yeah, eternal life. Yeah, eternal life that begins now. In that moment of faith, we have new life that begins now and goes on forever. Are we living now like we will be with Jesus forever? Are we telling others how they can come be with him as well? Are we living to love and serve people in our communities? Are we doing something about the things that we're posting on social media and ranting about with our friends the things that we say are our big issues and when poll time comes around at elections, do we really care enough that we're doing something about it on a day-to-day basis? If we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and we believe like John's talking about believing, that is trusting in him to be our Lord and Savior, relying upon him, leaning on him, treasuring him, then we will believe and have life in his name. you're here today, do you have life in Jesus? Whether you came in and you're, you know you're not a Christian, you say, well, no, I, I don't have life in Jesus. Today, you can. We want you to trust in his name here today. Do not leave here in your sin any longer. You see, God knows us, and he loves us anyway, so much that he sent his son to live perfectly as we never could, to die in our place taking on our sin, bearing the wrath of God for us. And he was dead three days and he came back to life that all who will trust in his name, rely on him, treasure him, will have life. You can have life today. If that's you and you're here today, in a moment we're going to have a song. And when we do, I'm going to give you some more instructions but I want you to make a move today. I'm not going to call you down front to give a testimony. We're actually going to send you to the back to talk to somebody. But I want you to do that today before you leave. Don't just say, I want to know more about Jesus. Maybe I'll talk one day. No, no, no. Talk to somebody today. Do something. For believers here, do you have life?
in Jesus' name? Are you living in a way that shows that you will be with him forever? Are you living to make him known in your life? Have you wrestled with your own doubts? Now you're helping other people wrestle with their doubts because you found this pearl of great price. You found this treasure in a field and you bought the whole field so that you could have it. Or did you just say some words and get wet and your life hasn't changed? Pastor Philip taught me a cool thing in talking to other Christians and talking about their conversion. Is rather than just asking them for information about who Jesus is and what he did, is, is asking them what's different now. And if you can't say what's different about your life, is it possible that you haven't found life in Jesus? If that's you, you can today. If you've called yourself a Christian for a while, if you've been coming to this church for a while and you're realizing I've never had real life in Jesus, you can today and the invitation to you will be the same to come and talk to Pastor Philip, come and talk to me, talk to one of our members today, repent of sin, turn to Jesus in faith. Truth is, on a Sunday, especially a rainy Sunday, a lot of you here do believe. Praise the Lord. You have life in the name of Jesus. You are different. I hope this encourages you to doubt your doubts. I hope this encourages you to think a little deeper and not be afraid to ask questions. The gospel is true. The gospel is true. The good news of Jesus is real. He is more real than you and me right now. He is eternal. He has always been and he always will be. He created us. We had a very definite beginning. But in him, we can go on forever with him. I hope you'll doubt your doubts. I hope you'll have courage to not just question a religion, but to question your own assumptions about religion. Question your own questions. And I pray that as you seek, you will see Jesus according to his word, and you will believe in his name and find life in him. Please pray with me.